Hey everyone, Clay here. It's that time of year again. Rotten Har is off until January, so we wanted to give you a little taste of what we've been doing over on Patreon. Amanda and I have been covering the video nasties, and so uh, we want to give you a little taste with the first episode where we cover Dario Argento's Tenebrae, and hopefully that'll get you psyched for 2024 when we will be covering the Halloween series. So, uh... Enjoy Tenebrae, and then uh, join us over on Patreon, where you can get the rest of the Video Nasties series, the Friday the 13th series, the second string of Stephen King series, and Halloween in 2024. All over on patreon.com slash thepenskefile. All right, thanks guys. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, Patreon edition. My name is Clay. With me, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good. I'm here in my white dress and red high heels, and I'm ready to party. Excellent. Dressed for murder. <laughs> or death. Or, or death. Or death. Well, that's usually what happens with murder, so yeah, it works. You're on the other end of it, though. Yes. Uh, usually, we cover movies off the 200 best horror movies of all time list from Rotten Tomatoes, but... This is our Patreon for 2023, and we are diving into movies off the Video Nasties list. Now, uh, (laughs) I figured we should probably talk about what that is before we get into the movies themselves. Yeah. The first movie we're doing is Dario Argento's Tenebrae. So why are we doing this? What were the Video Nasties? So uh, basically, bear with me here. Um. Everybody, put put your put your thinking caps on. <laughs> sit down at your desks. Open your textbook to page thirty-two. With the uh, the advent of home video in the late seventies and early eighties, there was in the UK there was no classification or rating system for home video. There was for theatrical releases, huh. but not for video because it was so brand new. Okay. And so uh, the only thing that they had to go by was something called the Obscene Publications Act. <laughs> which defined obscenity as that which may, quote, tend to deprave and corrupt persons who are likely having regard to all relevant circumstances to read, see, or hear the matter contained or embodied in it. This definition but. is, of course, open <laughs> to wide interpretation. Yeah. So uh, there was a, what that meant, basically, is that um, since there was no singular governing body covering this stuff, mm-hmm. the police... And whoever decided that they cared enough to do so were able to take videos off the shelves at their own discretion based on literally anything. Okay. Uh, which apparently famously uh, in- involved the uh, um, the seizing of the Dolly Parton musical, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, <laughs> because they thought it was pornographic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
<clears throat> and uh, the Video Retailers Association was alarmed by the apparently random seizures and asked the DPP, which was the Director of Public Prosecutions, to provide a guideline for the industry so that stockists or uh, people, uh, distributors, could be made aware of the titles which were liable to be confiscated. The DPP recognized that the current system, where the interpretation of obscenity was down to individual chief constables, was inconsistent and decided to publish a list that contained names of films that had already resulted in in a successful prosecution or where the DPP had already filed charges against the video's distributors. The list became known as the DDP, sorry, not Diamond Dallas Page, the DPP. (laughs) If only. If only. I feel like he'd be cool about it. He'd let you watch Evil Dead if you want to watch Evil Dead. Yeah, I feel like it would be like the DDP's list of movies you should watch. Yes. The list became known as the DPP list of video nasties, which was a term coined by conservative activist and educator Mary Whitehouse who uh, partnered with the UK's National Viewers and Listeners Association to prosecute distributors who traded the association's eponymous video nasties as they came to be known. Based on the belief that they offended Britain's Obscene Publications Act, legislation was pursued in 1984 to mandate that the BBFC, which is the British British Board of Film Censors, should certify films before release. And this is how the movie Censor begins. Yes, this is literally how the (laughs) movie Censor begins. Um, which is wild because that means that they had this uh, overly aggressive um, yeah. government body that was, when it really came down to it, once they really got into it, started re-editing these movies. Yeah. And the weird thing about it was a lot of these movies were passed by the censors for theatrical distribution, mm-hmm. but not for video distribution. And... Um, There's like a weird class thing built into it as well, because uh, um, even movies that were approved for the cinemas were denied home release certification like The Exorcist and Straw Dogs, which were pulled from shelves. The Exorcist was illegal in the UK until 1999. That, you know, I feel like I've heard that stat. I don't know if I've heard it. I think I've heard it from you in the past. That's insane to me. Yeah. Because I remember even in 1999 it being considered like a horror movie classic. Yeah, yeah. And it's just crazy to me that like a, a whole country just couldn't watch it. Yeah. And uh, the movies, the 72 video nasties were basically the result of two lists of movies. Mm. Um, there was the prosecuted movies, which meant that any film on, the, on this list would make the dealer or distributor liable to prosecution for disseminating obscene mater- materials. Dealers could be fined or jailed, and the film itself would be declared obscene if the prosecution was successful. And the second list, the first list was 39 movies. The The second list was 33 movies, and that was non-prosecuted, which meant the title could be confiscated under a less obscene charge, which meant cops could take it, and as long as the dealer cooperated and pled guilty, they'd escape personal prosecution. Wow. So they were actually going after like video store owners yeah. who were putting these movies on the shelves. So I, I, have a, I have a question. What happened if you were somebody who owned one of these movies in your house? <clears throat> like what, what if I like, you know, found this movie somewhere and I bought it mm-hmm. and I had it in my house and then, I don't know, for some reason the cops ended up getting a warrant to search my house. If they found this movie, would I be in trouble? That's a great question. Yeah. I I kind of feel like it, it, it works the way that like uh, in the early days of weed legalization, it worked yeah, yeah. where it was technically legal to have it, yeah, but it was illegal to sell it or distribute it. Okay, that, so, that reminds me actually. Um, 
I was in Savannah recently, which is a lovely city. Mm. They have a prohibition museum. Oh, really? Oh, that's yes. fun. It's very, it's very kitschy. It's very fun. There's a speakeasy at the end. Go for the speakeasy. Um, <laughs> that's excellent. It is. But so, yeah, that was prohibition rules where you yeah. could not, it was illegal to make and sell spirits and alcohol, but it was not illegal to own it. Right. So if you had your your moonshine or your whiskey or whatever, it was just like in your house, you were probably fine. But if they found out where you got it, that person right. was in trouble. Right. Okay. Which is really interesting. Like it's such a, a an interesting way to handle that stuff. I mean, I yeah. guess it makes the most sense. Otherwise, you'd be well, arresting just, everybody. But but it's just fascinating to think of because, like, y- you said this was happening in the eighties. It's yes. the The list was made public in nineteen eighty three, and yeah. it it was it ran th- through the entire decade of the eighties, wow. and into the nineties it loosened a bit. Yeah. But um, a lot of the movies on this list were still banned at the turn of the century yeah. which is a great way That's to feel, is a great way to make most of the people who are listening to this feel real old yes the turn or real of the young century. depending on how yeah, how yeah you if you're listening to this and you're like i wasn't even born yet then yeah. Yeah, you're a lucky bastard yeah as the as the decade wore on punishments for films showcasing obscenity or those that had been had not been classified by the bbfc continued films such as the evil dead and texas chainsaw massacre had their content heavily cut were banned from home release video nasties were also credited by some in government as an influencing factor of the hungerford massacre a murderous Mm. spree of shootings that resulted in the death of 16 people there was also another incident where um actually i think is directly sort of referenced in censor in Mm. or at least inspired in censor uh where there was a murder and the person who committed the murder claimed that they did it because of child's play three Oh, and yeah. Which led to Child's Play 3 being banned in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I vaguely remember this, like hearing about it at some point. And it actually, this leads into Tenebrae, because there's a lot of mm. that discussion in Tenebrae as well. Uh, James Furman, the secretary of the BBFC, was even quoted as believing adults needed to be shielded alongside children. Well before the video nasty panic was underway, Furman's response to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, quote, it's all right for you middle class cineasts to see this film, but what would happen if a factory worker in Manchester <gasps> happened to see it? Wow, that's so fucking condescending and patronizing and gross. Yes, there was also a conservative <laughs> member of parliament named Graham Bright yeah. who uh, suggested in a live televised interview that, quote, research is taking place and it will show that these films not only affect your young people, but I believe dogs as well. Oh, leave the dogs out of it. <clears throat> they didn't do anything. Uh, but yeah, generally what, generally what happened is it's believed that the ban on the nasties, the, fil- the video nasties, is seen as as a conservative government reaction to increase chaos and turmoil yeah. of everyday life in the eighties. It's easier to blame, and it always has been. It's easier to blame movies that actually that it's easier to blame movies than actually look at real problems that require real answers. Yeah, um, and it even got so out of hand that movies that weren't horror or exploitation were being pulled off the shelves like the mm. whorehouse and best little whorehouse in texas <laughs> there was roughly three thousand people who were prosecuted over the course of the video nasty scare jesus um through the boom of though the boom was in the night the 80s and through the 90s the bbfc would loosen its grip many of the banned films did not pass certification until the turn of the century evil dead wasn't legal until 2000 um but what Wild. is the result of this uh, it's the same thing that happens every time, which mm-hmm. is when the government cracks down on literature or art or anything like that, 
it develops a black market underground, which just makes people want to read it that much more. Absolutely. And so you had these sort of uh, back alley tape traders (laughs) who were selling uh, duplicates of duplicates of duplicates of the evil dead, which I mean is probably a fantastic way to watch that movie. Yeah, but but it's, it's so weird to think of this because like, I find this is this is one of those things where like when I when I hear about it I always think it happened way longer ago than it did. It was it was in the previous century, Amanda. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it was within our lifetimes. Yeah. Like which is which is crazy to me. Like cuz it it sounds both very very antiquated and almost quaint. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. idea that like it's it's videotapes that are doing it. Mm. It, it's just so it's so strange to realize that this was happening up through the 90s yeah i mean it's it's something that happens every time something new comes along oh yeah that the governing bodies don't understand yeah or don't have a grip on well and like you were saying it's it's this sort of thing when when there are bigger problems happening that mm. are complicated and therefore difficult to solve it's a lot easier to to pin things to something that feels tangible and 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 simple and easy it's it's sort of like after you know the columbine shooting when all of a sudden it was like well violent video games yeah that's what's causing do you you remember like i think about this from time to time there was a period in our lifetime when Mm -hmm. we were like you know high school middle school high school age sure where marilyn manson was like the most dangerous person oh yeah and now if you go back and you watch the stuff that he was doing it's like yeah that's kind of quaint isn't it yeah he was like that's music that i would i was a kid i would not listen to really because like i was like i don't want any part of that guy oh wow see i remember i do remember listening to marilyn manson not like super regularly but when i did i would always make sure or or, you know in my childhood head thought i was making sure that my parents couldn't hear it right you know like i would listen to it but i I didn't want them thinking i listened to it and part of me part of me is a little bit um nostalgic for that kind of feeling because i I feel like there's not any sort of popular media that has that kind of bite to it anymore well it's it's interesting because like you know i'm I'm remembering the proud defiance of my older brother walking around our house in a godsmack t-shirt yes (laughs) and now mom and dad are gonna freak when they see my new mud vein (laughs) t-shirt but now it, it it does it's funny and i know this is probably how every single generation feels as they get older mm. where now you're like yeah but there's like beheading videos on the internet yeah like that's, re- like real ones that's the tough thing is yeah we've kind of like um, we've gone from cannibal holocaust which feels almost like you know what i mean like yeah. those things feel silly when you watch them back now but at the time they were horrifying yeah to people there's there's um the worlds have really, it seems like the worlds have blurred quite a bit with yeah. the advent of the internet where it's, yeah. everything is available now. So do you think that was maybe part of why they had to phase out some of these laws is it was just like, maybe because by 1999 and 2000, like, yeah, you were probably able to find this on the internet. Maybe not in the sense that you, maybe you couldn't stream the full movie on mm-hmm. the internet yet, but you could definitely buy it. Yeah. You know, or, or download it from somewhere. Yeah, I think a lot of it was they they realized that they had gone too far. Yeah, because a lot of the movies that they that they were prosecuting people for, they ended up passing with few cuts or uncut by the turn of this by two thousand. Yeah. You know, yeah, like Tenebrae. Um, Tenebrae was a prosecutable film wow. that was re- that was released in theaters, but was prosecutable on video. 
and I believe it was released uncut in the UK in 2003. So, you know, it's it's the it's the craziness of mass hysteria, you know. Yeah. Like it's it's so fascinating how frequently this stuff happens mm-hmm. cuz like it, it always coincides with new technologies it seems like mm-hmm. because they did the same thing to comic books in the 50s. Yep. Um they've done it to TV, mm-hmm. they've done it to movies, they've mm-hmm. done it to video games, they've done it to music. Yep. Everything that comes along that has a grip on the younger people. Yeah, there's always a reason to to point out why this is thing is evil because yeah. the older group doesn't understand it. Yeah, it's it's a reactionary response. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> like Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> put yeah. People put Elvis in jail for shaking his ass at people. Right, exactly. You only you only shoot him on TV from from the waist up. Right. So the people at home can't see him move his legs. But decorum, Amanda. Yes, you have to maintain <laughs> decorum. What will my daughter? What? What is happening to my daughter? I can't, <laughs> I don't understand. She's not supposed to have a sexuality. Her mother never looked at me like that. <laughs> um, but just uh, uh, a quote from Stanley Kubrick to, to round out this element of it, which is, uh, to try and fasten any responsibility on art as the cause of life seems to me to put the case the wrong way around. Art consists of reshaping life, but it does not create life nor cause life. Furthermore, to attribute powerful, suggestive qualities to a film is at odds with the scientifically accepted view that even after deep hypnosis in, in a post-hypnotic state, people cannot be made to do things which are not which are at odds with their natures. Hmm. Um, Thanks, Stan. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it's good. We're starting with this movie. Tenebrae, yeah. because there is quite a bit of this sort of talk in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of central yeah. to the movie. Yeah. And uh, uh, of course, Tenebrae is from 1982. It is not on our main list, but it has a 79% Rotten Tomatoes score and a 78% audience score. Um, had You know what? Pull, I don't think I did a review for this. Let's... For our reviews, it has a... This is a little bit. This is ironic. It is a. It is a hundred percent from the BBC. Huh. It says sadistically beautiful and viciously exciting. Welcome to True Terror with Dario Argento's Ooh. shockingly relentless Tenebrae. Uh, a slant magazine also says Tenebrae is a riveting defense of auteur theory, ripe with self-reflexive discourse and various moral conflicts. It's both a riveting horror film and an architect's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> And the worst rating is a 40 from Time Out magazine. It says, it does confirm Argento's dedication to the technicalities of constructing images. Grand Guignol for, oh, jeez, this is pretentious. <laughs> Grand Guignol for Luono Vogue, perhaps. But you'll still end up feeling you've let some vital digestive organs, ba- you've left some vital digestive organs back in the seat. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty douchey review. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> had you seen this before? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. Nope. Yeah, I I had seen this a few times. Um, mm-hmm. This is one. I kind of. I feel like I think about this one a lot. Mm. The 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 my favorite thing about Argento movies is they they all kind of occupy this weird sort of dream space. Yeah. Where the the memory of them is is almost more evocative than the movie itself sometimes. Yeah. And so I'm always happy to come back and revisit this one. And I, I, I'm happy we watched this one as well because uh, I hadn't really ever like sat down and like really watched it and mm. thought about it mm-hmm. analytically. 
And so there's a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about. <clears throat> so before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play the trailer, and then we're going to talk about Tenebrae. <laughs> Captain Delmani, homicide squad. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor. Wish I'd never written that book. Okay, Tenebrae, directed by Dario Argento, written by Dario Argento, starring Anthony Franciosa, Giuliano Gemma, Dario Nicolotti, Veronica Lario, who is uh, mm. the wife of Silvio Berlusconi. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Or was later after this movie. I, I, I uh, hope so. Ava Robbins, uh, three members of Goblin. It's Ooh. not all of Goblin. That's why Goblin is not credited oh. in the in the soundtrack in the, for just doing the music because technically they are not Goblin. Got it. I believe the guy who owned the name yeah. was not there. They are Oblin. <clears throat> and yes, <laughs> Oblin, because Jerry didn't show up. <laughs> and everyone's favorite exploitation dad and or cop, but in this case, literary agent John Saxon. Yes. Amanda, what happens in Tenebrae? Visiting Rome on a promotional tour for his new novel, writer Peter Neal is pulled into a murder mystery as someone familiar with his work begins a series of killings. While the police look into the crimes, Neal investigates on his own, aided by his beautiful assistant Anne and a tenacious young local named Johnny. As the murderer brutally dispatches other victims, Neal gets closer to discovering the psychopath's identity. Mm. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. Classic Argento plot. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Artist, American artist in Rome, murder mystery, who's yes. the killer? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 this is a lot of, there is a lot of um, Argento greatest hits in this, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Well, other things you'll find in this movie mm-hmm. include yes. uh, construction site hobo. Favorite kind. <laughs> Best kind slash scariest kind. Yes. Uh, white dresses and red high heels. Yes. Somebody's got a thing. Very For a movie called Tenebrae, which is apparently Latin for darkness, Yes, uh, it is a very brightly sh- shot movie. I'm sure that's on purpose. Yes. Especially <laughs> since the DP for this is the same DP for um, Suspiria. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And huh. I, I, I do want to talk about the look of it a little bit because I can't decide if I like it or not because yeah. it is so bright. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every single scene is a, you it's can like almost lighting. see the light. Yeah. <laughs> just off the side of the camera, just blasting people. Yes. Uh, you'll also find an extremely athletic dog. Yes. Yeah, like, man. Holy shit. And persistent. Yeah. Like, yeah. he does not give He's up. He's dedicated. That dog knows what he wants, and he wants to kill that child. Yes. Um, You'll find competitive fence climbing. Yeah, lots of cl- fence climbing. Oh, my God. I wanted to go back and count, but I just couldn't do it. I lost it's, track every time. At least five, I think. Oh, easily. Yeah. I would say probably closer to seven or eight. Yeah. But, you know, somebody can count and tell me. <laughs> uh, you'll also find 
repressed memories, mm-hmm. <laughs> textbook Italian giallo misogyny. Yes, yeah. There's the <laughs> textbook. Great, there is the great line where the cop says to his female partner, mm-hmm. uh, "Oh shit, where the hell is it? I lost it." Oh no. I should I should have a tough male assistant who runs fast. Oh, is what he says to his uh, his partner when they are going after the the guy at the phone booth. And I he's, see. He's very mad that his. I mean, he's probably joking, but it's also very much in line with how these movies treat women for a lot of a lot of the times. Yes, uh, you'll also find beachfront fetish party. Yes, yeah. There's some. Weird kinky shit going down in that yeah, beach. Yeah, which we are going to talk so about. It ties in with those red high heeled shoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, death by modern art. Yes, another killed by an art. Another Argento classic going all the way back, <laughs> going all the way back to Bird with the Crystal Plumage. <laughs> Main killed character by killed by modern art. Modern art. So, yes. <clears throat> Tenebrae. Uh, it is interesting to to look back at Bird with the Crystal Plumage. We've watched. Mm. F- this is our fourth yep. Argento movie. We've yep. done. Bird with a Crystal Plumage, yes. Deep Red, yep. Suspiria, mm-hmm. and now Tenebrae, yep. which is a pretty pretty good sampling of, of his thing. Lots of crossover. Yeah. It's it's tough. It almost reminds me of when we were either doing like Scream movies or the Friday the 13th movies, and there were just enough of the same beats in each yeah. that sometimes my brain starts to blend them a little bit. Yep. Like Suspiria stands out a little bit more, I think, because there's a female protagonist and it all happens so much inside the dance school. Mm-hmm. Um, but Crystal Plumage and Deep Red and this, there there are scenes that you could probably cut and swap in and out of these movies yeah. and not notice right away yeah. <laughs> that you had switched to, to the wrong movie. Well, I mean, yeah, the thing that's interesting is like this has a lot of... Uh, things that he's featured in a lot of other movies. It's got mm-hmm. um, crazy animal attacks, which is yep. in multiple. I mean, Suspiria, the blind guy gets eaten by the dog. Yep. Uh, there's a there's a rat sequence in Inferno, which we'll get Ooh. to when we get to Inferno oh, later boy. on. Um, it has the classic uh, Argento. If you're gonna play the hits, you got to play the, the the greatest Argento hit, which is putting mm-hmm. a woman's head through a pane of glass. Yes. 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 <laughs> In the midst of her murder or immediately after it. Yes. Yes. Uh, Death by Modern Art, yep. as you said. And yep. also um, there's the uh, adjust, adjusted memory and the idea yes. that you have taken in more than you realize until yep. you stop. Interestingly, that which is the linchpin of Deep Red uh-huh. is just kind of like a mid movie afterthought in this one yeah um, which kind of it kind of leads you into the back half but yeah it sort of is like a nice little little nugget to sort of explain part of what's been going on so far but it's not the same like oh the whole point of this movie is pivoting on this lapsed memory right right there's one that's that's really like a a fascinating literalization of this idea Mm. uh i'm gonna ruin this movie for you Um, hooray uh his third movie which was called four flies on gray velvet oh the um the names of some of these they're so good (laughs) they're kind of terrible but they're also great right yeah they're they're so over the top that they've come back around to being amazing yeah yeah so the way that they catch the killer in that movie Hmm. is um, four flies on gray Velvet. sort of it's based on the idea that when a person dies the eyes permanently burn the last thing that they saw onto the retina Ooh. 
And so they go into the murder victim's eyes and pull out this image, which looks to be four flies on gray velvet, but turns out that it's a necklace. And so they figure out what the necklace is, which then leads them to figure out who the killer is. So it's this interesting literalization of what you see at first Mm -hmm. is then reassessed yeah. And turned into the actual uh key to to the mystery. Yeah, and you're like making making the human body a literal camera. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you also get uh his favorite trope <laughs> seemingly, which is the American artist who yes. is in Europe. Yes. Um and uh there's a lot of really interesting sexuality stuff going on in this. <laughs> yep. Which we can get into a bit later. <laughs> so it's it's interesting how he's he's really He's playing with a lot of the same ideas yeah. and the same themes. Mystery killer with black leather gloves. Gotta who's have it. Leaving strange messages or phone calls. Gotta have it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but he's he's kind of he's using the same elements to tell these sort of like different stories with kind of different thematics. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always kind of felt to an extent David Lynch does kind of similar thing where he. A part of me for a while kind of felt like he just kept making the same movie, but like mm. refining it. Mm-hmm. Like if you see Mulholland Drive and then you go back and you watch Lost Highway, it's like, okay, yeah. I can see yeah. how he got from Lost Highway to the or Blue, go back Velvet. Further, Blue Velvet, yeah. even Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. It's a lot of the same kind of vibe yes. that he just keeps refining and refining. And I kind of feel like Argento does the same thing. Yeah. Um. So what did you think of this one overall? Overall, I, I I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I find I find that it struck me less than the other Argento movies mm. that we've that we've watched. I feel like those ones had a stronger visual style. Yeah, for better or for worse, you know, like like <laughs> in a weird way, this one almost seemed more normal looking at times mm. than than like Suspiria, where everything is just so heightened mm-hmm. um uh, yeah i i liked it a lot actually but it, it it's still kind of like weirdly fuzzy in my head yeah you know like 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 the 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 narrative i felt like had a little less drive behind it yeah that's one of, i read was one of the criticisms is that it feels like it's not a driving narrative yeah but, and i like we um you had mentioned that in the synopsis, it's mm-hmm. another story about the person who's not a cop getting involved yes. in their own uh, uh, investigation. And it is that, but that yeah. doesn't really start to happen until pretty deep into the movie. Peter Neal yeah. is just sort of like hanging out, yeah, <laughs> like s- scoping out chicks for most of the movie. Yeah, and he's he's an interesting character because I think like... Whereas with most of the protagonists in the other Argento movies we've watched, there's something kind of neurotic about them mm-hmm. or they're upset by something or something, something has typically, I mean, it's they've written, they've witnessed a murder. Right. Or, yes. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Usually these protagonists actually see the murder. Yes. Peter Neal is completely oblivious. Yeah. And I, and I think that kind of, that kind of impacts how he moves through the movie for the first half. Yeah. Because our other Argento protagonists have seen something horrific and that has made them for better or for worse, personally invested in what's going on. 
And and so they've been affected by it. It has it has already started to change them. Mm. And so we're watching them go through this. And because they're invested, I feel like it's easier for me to be invested as the yeah. viewer. And in this one, it's interesting because the whole like first half the movie, there's this kind of like split between what Peter Neal, the author, is doing and then what the killer is off doing mm-hmm. and the two only sort of brush against one another at first. It it, it, it it takes a while for those two plots to really enmesh with one another. Yeah. yeah. And so it makes for like a weird viewing experience, I think, because some of the beginning of the movie feels like a little disjointed in my memory. Like not even necessarily while I was watching it, but now thinking back on it. I'm like, okay, was the lesbian couple killed first or was it the girl who got chased by the dog? Sure. And like, wait a minute, how did the shoplifter tie into all of this again? And like, why was she killed? Yeah. And I'm still kind of fuzzy on some of those details. And then later in the the kind of second half of the movie when things ramp up a little bit and, and things tie in a bit tighter together, it's like, oh, okay. I, I get where I get where this is going. Even so, the the, the opening handful of scenes are a bit um, uh, what's the word? Uh, kind of leaves you off kilter a bit because yeah. it's it's none of it's really related, and it ultimately isn't really that related. Like there's one element that I I always kind of almost forget about, mm-hmm. which is when he when Peter Neal goes to the airport after he bikes there. <laughs> yeah. What I'm sorry, but like I now should like I'm like I should have known right away he was the murderer. Yeah, because what, what kind, kind of psychopath, of psychopath yeah. bikes through New York City to the airport? Yeah, he was. Imagine if I if you were in New York and you oh saw a person on a bicycle on like the BQE or like oh my god, you would you would be within your right to hit that person. I think. <laughs> And the cops would just come and say, thank you. Yeah, yes, uh, he shouldn't have been on the street. <laughs> um, but when he, uh, in that sequence at the airport, there mm-hmm. was another woman who's working with Jane, yes. his fiance, who never shows up again in the whole movie. Yeah, and I still don't fully understand why Jane t- trashes her his bag. Yeah. And I, like why she's following him to Italy in the first place. Yeah, I think so... I think that this movie is subtextually and thematically mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm. But I think as far as a, and this is kind of how all of his movies tend to be, as yeah. far as like a moment to moment plot, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty loosey goosey. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I don't know if that's by design, if it's meant to be disorienting mm-hmm. um, because there's, you know, there's lots of. I think he's done this before too. There's lots of doubles where yes. a lot of people look like each other. Yep. Uh, Peter Neal kind of looks like the cop. Yep. The, the cop's partner kind of looks like Dari, Nic- Dari Nicolodi. Yep. Um, yep. His fiance kind of looks like the first girl who gets killed. Who also kind of looks like the girl from the beach flashbacks. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so uh, I, I think once you get into like, you're spending the first half of this movie basically um trying to track what's going on and mm-hmm. then when they finally have to start paying off the story yeah it gets it gets kind of like what yeah this, yeah you know once they reveal that jane is having an affair with the book agent yeah you start wondering like well wait so is she only in italy because she's there to be with john saxon 
or is she there because she's stalking Peter Neal? Like, why is she wrecking his clothes? Is it just because? Is it just because that they they've broken up or something? Like, yeah, the 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 the, the adultery subplot feels a little weird on the surface and kind of comes out of nowhere. It just yeah. it just all seems like a motivation for what is I think actually a pretty good twist. Yes. <laughs> when you when they tell you that there is actually two killers that Peter Neal figured it out mm-hmm. and y- killed the first killer yes. in order to then use that killer as a cover while yes. he kills John Saxon and his cheating fiance. Yeah, and I and I kind of love that because it it really does tie directly into the very opening of the movie where it's the uh the the gloved hands holding the book. Mm-hmm that Peter Neal wrote Tenebrae Mm -hmm. and reading a passage out of it in front of a fireplace. Yes. Which I'm just like, sign me up. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I want to do all day. Just read books about murder in front of a fireplace. Well, people might know that not know this about you, but Mm. when you read a book, yes, every page, when you finish it, you tear it out, you burn it. Absolutely. Because like, why else? Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. It forces you to remember it better. Yeah. And it frees the spirit of the book. And it makes the other books more valuable i thought you were going to say more afraid <laughs> that too <laughs> you line up all your books yeah, yeah, on like, the coffee table look what you made me do and i just rip it out page by page i'm looking at you nietzsche you're yeah. next <laughs> bold of you to assume i i own a book by nietzsche yeah well no we'll put in the fire <laughs> um but yeah it's 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 i think the 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 surface level plot is it's interesting to compare this to um, Bird with the Crystal Plumage or Deep Red because mm. Bird with the Crystal Plumage, as we said at the time, is almost, it feels like it's entirely made out of tropes. Yeah. And Deep Red, I feel like, is probably the most consistent plot-wise, the, the mm-hmm. plot to weirdness ratio. Yes, and, and things things actually lining up with yeah. what you've seen. Yeah. Like and- with what you've been shown and with what you can logically put together. And the turn at the end of Deep Red yeah. is one of those things where he's not cheating yep. by not showing you something and then showing it to you. He shows yep. it to you at the time. You're just not, not looking for it. Right. And so it makes the, the, the twist make a little bit more rational sense. Yep. Whereas this one is fun, but I think what makes this movie more interesting is the subtext mm-hmm. and the themes of it. Mm. Because uh, this is very much a response type film to uh, critics and other people who claim kind of what we talked about earlier mm-hmm. that uh, he is too misogynist and that his movies uh, are too violent and that this violence could uh, bleed out into the real world. Mm. And so you've got this character who is uh, interestingly enough, the character who turns out to be the initial murderer mm-hmm. is the critic who is making these claims at him. Yes. And so you get, bef- before that reveal, you have these kind of interesting conversations between Peter Neal and this guy where yeah. they get into these kind of ideas about whether or not uh, uh, movies um, create psychos or right, whether or not they make right. psychos more creative, to yeah. quote Scream. <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's an interesting look at that through... Argento's lens, mm-hmm. which he then ultimately dials to eleven yeah. by s- essentially going like, "I don't think that this is the case. Mm-hmm. However, 
I'm going to give you the middle finger and then just say, for this instance, it is. Yeah. The guy who created it, he's the killer. Oh, and, and not only that, but he is inspiring others yes, yeah. to, to do horrible, violent things and and, yeah. and emulate his, his fucked up characters. Yeah. Because the TV critic is the first killer. So he has been consuming and like there's there's the hints that he's been obsessed with Peter Neal's work. Right. And so he's been consuming this work and it has driven him to a point where, yes, he has killed them all. He, you know, the first batch of people to get murdered in this movie. And then it doubles down even further by having the creator kill the psychopath who was inspired by his work and then take up the mantle of being that killer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. Yeah. Now it's my turn. And it's an interesting thing too to think about in the era where these movies were being censored that you have your killer being a critic who is actively destroying the work as he's killing mm. people mm-hmm. by throwing it in the fire or shoving it in people's mouths. Yeah. And... Yeah, there's also a lot of like in this movie death by art. And death as art, which yes. is another Argento hallmark. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's sort of like <laughs> Art and the making and consuming of art, literal and figurative consuming, Mm. brings everybody in this movie nothing but trouble. Yes. Even Elsa, the girl at the very beginning who's the shoplifter, she gets caught stealing a book. She gets caught stealing Tenebrae. Yeah. So because she's trying to consume this art, it gets her in trouble. Mm -hmm. And then later... She's the one who, when the killer attacks her, he stuffs the the book pages into her mouth right, to yeah. make her literally consume it. And that's part of what kills her there. And then the next person killed is, I think her name was like Tilda or something. Tilda? She's the, the other critic. Who, oh, the, with the girlfriend? Yes. Yeah. And when she sits down to interview Peter Neal... Even though they're kind of buddy-buddy at first for the interview, she's like, why are you such a raging misogynist? Right. And is like really hard, like like goes at him really hardcore with that kind of stuff. And then she and her and her girlfriend get murdered. Which is actually kind of funny because yeah. she goes at him really hard about mm-hmm. why you're such a misogynist. Mm-hmm. And then the following scene yes. is her criticizing, basically calling her girlfriend a slut. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she like <laughs> literally calls her a whore, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, I think... and. As far as the kills go in this too, mm. it's <clears throat> I think they kind of ramp up yeah. where you know where Suspiria has that obvious amazing first oh my God, yeah. shocking kill. Yep. And uh Deep Red has a lot of great set pieces. Mm-hmm. This one kind of eases into it where the the fir- the shoplifting girl her death is not super inventive. But then you get to the death of uh, the the lesbian couple, which mm-hmm. is really cool because mm. you've got that amazing shot where she pulls the shirt over her head and yeah, slices he, the yep, shirt open yep. and shows her face, which is fantastic. And then, of course, you get the head through the glass, mm-hmm. which and then both the bodies are kind of composed in a very interesting way. Yeah. And then as you get deeper into the film, you get, uh, well, the girl good, the axe in the stomach isn't that great, but yeah. you get this grand finale yes <laughs> at the end where um jane gets her hand cut off uh-huh. and like jackson pollock's the wall yes. is just white <laughs> throughout the whole movie there are these white walls and yes. like h- highlights of white and people wearing white yep and it's it's almost like a foreshadowing thing because it's like oh yeah what's with all the white and then at yeah. the end he shows you why all the white where he just sprays blood on everything absolutely it's why the red high heels 
Yes. Yeah, it's it's the foreshadowing of white of the white and red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's just going to be everything's covered in blood by the end of this. <laughs> yeah, the last the last fifteen minutes of this movie I think are really great. Yes. It's, yeah. It's the everything kind of comes together in a way that is uh, both. Um, what's the word uh ridiculous but also <laughs> yes like very satisfying yeah um because i think one of the, the the big things that stands out to me in this is for a movie where the mystery is kind of not super tight mm-hmm. i feel like there's a lot of contrived movement and yes. a lot of contrived Fence elements climbing fence climbing <laughs> like we were talking last night when peter kneels at the airport mm-hmm. i was like you can the the, the number one indicator that this was m- made in the last century is that <laughs> peter neil just drops his bag yeah. at the airport yeah. and then walks like 50 yards in the other direction to use the phone yeah. and doesn't worry about it and doesn't get jumped by the tsa yes but it's like he has to just drop his bag yeah and it walk has away. to be left unattended in order to get vandalized <laughs> yeah and then yeah. later on the dog has to chase her yes all the way to this house yeah to like a comical extent this, yeah this like it it starts off like i it was funny I, that scene with the dog started off i kind of felt bad for the dog because the dog was just behind a fence and the girl starts like banging on the fence kind of antagonizing the dog mm. and then the dog starts chasing her and you're like oh oh shit okay this is dangerous dog and then it keeps going and you're like, wow, this is a really dedicated dog. And then, <laughs> and then it keeps going and it keeps going to the point where it's like, I would say comical that the dog is still chasing her. Oh, definitely. Like over fences, over other fences, through houses. Like it's it's it gets to a point where it's like, All right, this is absurd on purpose yeah and then once she gets to the house the dog is still outside yes just jumping at the windows which also has another argento hallmark which is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorites which is the uh the literal threshold crossing there you go where she first ends up in this stone cold basement area uh where the killer is keeping all of his accoutrement Yes. And then opens a door into this lush, beautiful, uh, yeah. modern apartment with floor to ceiling windows and plants and shit yeah. in the inside. Yeah. And like cool. conversation pits and yeah. cushions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, yeah, it is very contrived how, even how she ends up there, she gets sort of dropped yes. off by a random dude on a motorcycle. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle yeah. of nowhere. And, and then she... Yeah, it gets chased by the dog into it just just so happens to this one house where the killer's lair is and the killer has just so happened to accidentally leave the key in the door. And then when she's trying to get in there, it's like she, her hand is going up and like messing. Yeah. It's like that's that feels like business. It doesn't feel natural. Like Yeah. She didn't just turn and and grab the handle and the right. key and, and get in there. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is is very it was it was it's it's crafted on purpose yeah it never it yeah. does it does not feel like normal human behavior yeah. and then at the end of the movie after when they uh well first of all when they think peter neil has killed himself yeah and it turns out that he just happened to have like a movie prop on him <laughs> right like where did he get that i know like if that's the kind of thing that you would set up earlier in the movie in some way yes however you managed wanted to squeeze it in there but yeah they set up other stuff you know like yeah. his bag getting vandalized is very set up 
Which is like, only there for red herring purposes. Yeah. 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 It, it was because when he first did it, I remember being like, oh, shit, this movie ends on a really intense note. This guy like kills these people and then slits his own throat with a straight razor. That's insane. Yeah. Nope. And then after that, they assume he's dead and the mm-hmm. cop and Dari Nicolodi go out to the car. Yep. And then the cop's like, I'll be right back. And he goes back into the yeah, house. Yeah, why does he go back in? And then Nari, Dari Nicolodi also goes, ah, I should probably go back in the house. And she also goes back in the house. Yes. Yeah, people don't have good judgment in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it just it just feels like they are being pushed by the plot yeah. more than any sort of natural inclination to do things. Yeah. To the point where it doesn't like, I think in certain, like in something like Suspiria or mm. Deep Red, mm. I think you can get away a lot with a lot where it's like, oh, it's very dreamlike. But mm. this doesn't, this is a lot more grounded, I think. Yeah, which two. is which is weird for it being the movie we're talking about that almost has like the loosey-goosiest of logic behind yeah. it. It, yeah. it. It looks more... I don't know. I don't know if it's just because this one's later than the other ones we've watched of his, so it, it looks more modern, mm. but it it feels more like the real world. It still feels yeah. weird. It's still it's still very much like the world as seen through the lens of Dario Argento, but it's it doesn't feel quite so strange. Definitely not as the world of Suspiria, and definitely not with the world of Deep Red. Right. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. Like there's lots of people going to like offices. Yeah. You know, there's lots of people kind of like, I don't know, just like being downtown, (laughs) going to the police station, having a meeting, getting a coffee. Like it's not quite so, you know, even Bird with the Crystal Plumage, the scene where he goes out to find the artist and the, and the and he lives in the boarded up barn. There's like not that same kind of sense of like these these almost dreamlike places. Yeah, there's nobody eating cats in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's um as as I as I learned from Joe Bob Briggs, uh, this movie takes place in Rome. Yes, but you never see any classic Roman. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like landmarks. Uh, landmarks. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. They never go to like the Spanish Steps or the Trevi Fountain. You don't see the yeah. Colosseum in the background. It's I, apparently it's a suburb of Rome. Okay. That was designed by Mussolini. And Ooh. so it is all this brutalist, yeah. ugly architecture. Yeah. Which I think kind of uh, is in step with everything else about this movie, which mm. is kind of like it. It really kind of takes place in a world that is very ugly. Yeah. And despite everybody being dressed in pastels and stuff. Yeah. In the background, there's constantly people fighting. Yeah, there is. There's uh, a man screaming at his girlfriend or partner. There's just like people punching each other. There's a a pan through the police office where a fight breaks out in the hallway. Yeah, like two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very chaotic and a very violent kind of world that this movie seems to be existing in. Right. Even though all the men are well dressed and all the women are wearing like dresses and high heel shoes. Yeah. People are still fighting in the background. Yeah. And it's um, it kind of it kind of makes me think about what is the other Argento element in this that I think is a little bit more obscured than usual. Mm which is the idea that usually we kind of talked about this with crystal plumage and I, uh, 
I didn't read it this way the first time when I watched Crystal Plumage, but I kind of mm. reassessed it, and I think we've talked about it since then. Because we had talked about Crystal Plumage being like, oh, so it's it's about this American guy, and he's like, got he thinks he's got this stuff under control. He's very yeah. confident. But actually, Argento's male characters are usually pretty emasculated. Yeah. You know, like the, uh, in Crystal Plumage, I, I think he's got some like sex issues, if I, which they have the sex metronome. Oh, yes. <laughs> and in Deep, in deep Red... Uh, the main character is emasculated in different ways and kind yeah. of uh, ultimately uh, helpless to the to the power of, of the, the woman and stuff like that. Yeah. And this movie actually is kind of the ultimate of that. Hmm. Um, but it's a little bit more hidden because you've got um, Peter Neal, who is presented as this uh, like very attractive sort of masculine guy who's accused of being a misogynist and he's like hey baby you know yeah and he's kind of always schmoozing with all these like hot younger women who seem to just congregate around him yeah you know he's like kind of brushing up against the younger girl when she's going to the bathroom and he's trying to sleep with Dari Nicolodi yeah which I'm not convinced they do I mean it's very awkward if they do because she wakes up still on the couch which kind of leads into where I'm going with this and so the thing that we find out in the, when we find out what the turn is, is that his fiance mm-hmm. has been uh, cheating on him with his agent, right? Yes. And they link all of this to these dreams that he's been having mm-hmm. about this beachfront fetish party <laughs> <clears throat> where this woman uh, is, I don't know what she's going to do oh. with these four boys, yes. but something kinky. Yeah. And then a fifth boy shows up and just slaps her across the face. Yep. And then everybody turns on this guy, jumps him, and she ends up putting her red high heel into yes. his mouth. And later we find out through another flashback that this woman was then killed by said boy, mm-hmm. which we then find out was Peter Neal. Yeah. How dare you not let me slap you? Yes, right. <laughs> I'll show well, you. So... There, I think that there is a key to understanding this mm. that is not on the surface of the text, which is the woman who plays the beachfront woman. Yes, is a is a transgender actress. Oh, and so I have this theory that what we're actually watching is Peter Neal as a kid mm. un- finds this out about this woman. Which mm. is why he slaps her, and then because yeah. he is so emasculated by what he's found out, mm. and then he's overtaken by her, and basically he basically he's we, when we see we, where did he he killed her in Rhode Island, right? They yes. Say. Yeah. So clearly he comes from money. Yeah. He's a rich yeah. he's a rich white kid from Rhode Island. Yeah. Who's been made a fool of by a woman who turns out to be a transgender woman, which mm. for him I'm sure would be extra emasculating. Yeah. And then he gives the same red shoes to his fiance, who is also emasculating him. Right, because he, she has cuckolded him. Exactly, which is driving him to murder again. Yeah. And so I think there's this undercurrent with this character, Peter Neal, of mm-hmm. just outwardly projecting masculinity, mm-hmm. but actually being very emasculated. Because when he does go to try and sleep with Daria Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. it Nickelodeon, <laughs> you know, he gets slimed at the end. The heir to the Nickelodeon fortune. Yes. The next day, it doesn't look like anything happened. Yeah, she's still in her PJs, still set up on the couch. Yeah. She doesn't look particularly tousled. They don't wake up together. There's no yeah. 
good morning, here's your coffee. There's not even any, we we will not speak of this again. And so you kind of get the sense that the movie didn't let that happen. Mm. And so what Peter Neal ends up being is this character who projects this uh, virility and masculinity yeah. in a movie where everybody else is very passionate and kind of sexy, yeah. but he is not having sex at all. Yeah. <laughs> And so I buy he, that. Yeah. He's got this you've got this very emasculated man at the center of it. Yeah. Who ends up doing these murders. Yeah, the word I keep thinking for him is impotent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, perfect word. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I I I find the the subtext of this to be more subtle. Yeah. But a, very very interesting. Yeah, and I and I think that that I'm works. sure I could be leaping off tall buildings for these things, but <laughs> No, I, I honestly I buy it, and I and I think it works even like, you know, even if that actress from the beach scene was not a trans woman, mm-hmm. like even if, you know, she was just a, a a biological woman, like it still works. Sure, yeah. Like I I can see why in, in especially in the sort of seventies and eighties parlance that would be even more emasculating. Mm. Um, but either way, it it yeah, it, I can definitely see that where it's just like. He can't stand the fact that he does not actually have power over the women around him. Yeah. And he can't actually get them to do what he wants. And he's giving her those shoes as yeah. a link to the last time that he was so emasculated yeah. that he eventually ended up murdering somebody. I think there's also a level of like, he wants to recreate it. Mm. You know, like he wants to have that feeling of like dominance and, and power and, and, and victory over the woman who has hurt him yeah. again and and the best way to do that is especially since these women already resemble one another is to really make her embody that first girl and yeah. you can kind of get that high of killing somebody like the same kind of way to try and hit that pinnacle again yeah yeah reestablish yourself as the uh successful casanova that you think you are yeah and i think what i find satisfying about all of this is that ultimately you have this movie which was outwardly specifically made to rile up the people who accused him of being misogynist Mm -hmm. and was banned for the sexualization of the violence and and all that kind of stuff but the movie he's actually giving you is a movie that's rooted in the dangers of essential to uh, toxic masculinity essentially yeah which i i think is very is a, is a very nice twist for him yeah because ultimately it's sort of like because you know by by the end peter neal has become like a very vile figure yeah you know like he's killed these people he's not repentant at all and he dies a horrible and also kind of stupid death. Yeah, he d- his, <laughs> he dies pretty dumb. Yeah, <laughs> but and, dumb but death. I think it's on purpose, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. I, I think it's like he's not going to go out. Like, the cops aren't going to come and he's not going to have some big shootout where he gets to go out in a blaze of glory. Right. He's he, he doesn't even really get a chance to, to threaten Anne, his assistant, who, right, who yeah. survives. Like. Yeah she's kind of coming back into the house and he sort of comes at her and then the art falls on him. Yeah. And yeah, he dies this really dumb death, like an ugly modern art statue that just so happens to be standing by the door gets knocked into him and like stabs him in the abdomen. Yeah. How does this emasculated man end up getting killed? He gets 
penetrated, penetrated through the abdomen. <laughs> through the abdomen, which is also the same way he kills the the girl from the beginning. Right. Yep. He stabs her in the stomach. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it is it is really interesting how he is this sort of like. He he's he's a he's a scary figure because he's killed all these people, but he's also like worthy of your derision. Yeah. Like like he's not a scary killer in the end. Like he's just kind of a pathetic guy. Yeah, I I think it's fun because uh to see as much as the the twist with um John Saxon and the fiance feels like it is not telegraphed in any way um, yeah. like i don't think you could have figured this out no. if you knew the answer no because uh, i remember I, I feel like i guessed I, I i think i did i guess the bird with the crystal plumage killer or at like one one of the ones we watched i was like i'm pretty sure that the killer is a woman mm-hmm. and it yeah, I, yeah, that's right, yeah there was like something that i don't know if it was like the size of her hands or something like that but yeah in this one there was no there was no way you you could really put this together, yeah. Based on the things that you see in the movie, yeah. Even even the who the first killer is, yeah. Like that one. <laughs> if you have a sense for dramatic irony, you could probably figure yeah. that out, <laughs> yeah. But like as far as clues and stuff they give you, it's yeah, not really. No. I mean, I guess kind of if you look back at what he's doing, it makes sense because it's like, oh, he's blaming the book. But there's for also the murders the way that he is accusing Peter Neal of yeah. Blah, yeah blah blah. I feel like this movie also features a lot of random peripheral characters. Yeah, there's a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of kind of throwaway. They're like recurring characters, but they barely seem to have a purpose in the movie other than to maybe get killed or be a suspect to be the killer. Right. And it muddies the waters in such a way that it almost becomes futile in the first half to even try to narrow down which one of them is doing it. Yeah. And there's really no, there's not a lot of sense of like Peter Neal plays things pretty cool. Like he never really gets paranoid. Yeah. Like there's no point where he thinks anybody around him is doing this. Right. He never feels like he's being personal, like like somebody's personally out to get him. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could argue is kind of how a person like that might handle it because he thinks yeah. he's kind of. Thinks he's a big tough man. Right. Although he does also want to leave and go to France. But yeah. um, I think but, that that comes in more so that he can have a cover. Sure. For the murders he knows he That's is true. about to commit. Yeah. Yeah. And once you get that turn, it is it is fun to have. Oh, the mystery writer actually solved the problem, solved the case, mm-hmm. and then decided to use it to his own benefit. Right, right. Rather than going to the police and saying, "Aha, I have done it." Yeah, I've discovered the murderer. Instead, right. he's like, "I'm just going to axe this guy in the head." <laughs> yeah, I I found myself because I remembered as we as we were watching it, I remembered mm. that ultimately Peter Neal was the killer. I hadn't mm. watched it in a bit, but. Mm. But I couldn't remember. So when the first girl got killed, I was yeah. like, wait a minute. He's not even in Rome yet. How could yeah. he have killed her? Yeah. And so I kind of put that out of my mind for a while. Yeah. And I forgot about, I forgot the mechanics of how you get to Peter Neal being the killer. And mm-hmm. I actually thought maybe I was thinking of a different movie. Right, right. <laughs> like it must have been a different Argento movie. The one, the one thing I was thinking though is like, how did he whack his own head with that rock? <laughs> <laughs> Again, yeah, kind of like, good acting. Yeah, kind of <laughs> contrived. Like he had to go from 
the outside, get in the house, kill that dude, <laughs> yep. run back outside, yep. whack himself in the head till he bled. And, and then, then fall down. Yeah, until yeah. Gianni came and found him. Yes. Um, so again, a little contrived. Yeah. But, you know, with these movies, who's really counting, right? <laughs> um, music. Oh, Amazing. They're so good. This is uh, when Goblin. When Goblin, or three three quarters of Goblin. Yes. When they nail a song, they mm-hmm. really nail a song. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the theme in this one is a real definite earworm. Yep. Uh, I don't know why their stuff fits his movie so well, but it yeah. does. Yeah, I don't know. I almost wish there was more of it in this movie. Yeah. Uh, like they, there's a couple really good sequences with the, with the Goblin soundtrack, but it didn't feel quite so prevalent as their music does in some of some of his other movies. I think maybe because they actually were there were a couple themes that they used mm. in this, and a lot of times you really feel the theme because it's one that they just kind of keep using over and over. Sure, which they do in this, but there yeah. are they do mix it up a bit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I remember when we went to see them. Yes. they played this and it was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Because this one, the, I didn't even know what movie it was from yet, and I was just like, "This fucking rules!" Yeah, like the baseline, <laughs> and this is so good, so good. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we round it out? Um, just that I find Argento's focus on on memory really interesting. Yeah, because I feel like his understanding of memory is both aligned with and also not really. It doesn't really mesh with our modern understanding of human memory. Mm, wait, you mean the eyes don't keep a permanent yeah. <laughs> record of the last thing that they saw before you died? Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. But also the, the sort of like the idea that we we see or hear or perceive something that is then for some reason lost to us and can be recovered. Mm. Like, you know, Peter Neal his whole impetus for why he becomes the killer in this movie is a repressed memory right? of a murder he committed that right. he has not been aware of for a very long time. Like he did this and then he, they, they couldn't, there was no evidence so they didn't prosecute him, but he was suspected, but he repressed the memory of it. And it wasn't until this string of murders triggered something in him that it brought it back up. Right, right. And I find that really interesting because I feel like repressed memories was very much a thing that was like big in the eighties. Yeah, repressed memory that was yeah that was a big thing. Has that has been has that been disproven at this point? That I that's think not a thing? it's widely believed to not be a thing. Yeah. I think that the general consensus nowadays is that it's not really a thing. Maybe with some very rare exceptions. Yeah. Um, and I also like I find it interesting that like Johnny's. He, you know, he heard the first killer confess and blocked it out of his head and then had to go back to the scene in this very Dario Argento way mm. of like having to go physically put yourself back somewhere to remember something that you missed. Yeah. And I'm sure that can happen, but it's interesting because we've sort of learned more and more that actually eyewitness testimony is the least reliable right. evidence yeah. you can have for these things. So I, I, I always just find his, his faith in the human mind and the mind's ability to, to sort of store this information and then with the right outside stimulus, perfectly recall it mm. 
is really interesting to me because I do think in a way he thinks that the mind is like a camera. Yeah. That it's all, it's all back there. It's on the film reels. You just have to wind it back at the right speed to get the information that you need. Yeah. And I think in, in real life, that's very untrue. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is pretty interesting because you've got a, in a movie like Deep Red where the the way that he figures it out is he literally rewinds the camera and pauses the film. Yes. So David Nivens can or David Hemmings can I think it's Hemmings. David Hemmings can go like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's what I saw. Yes. Which is not something. Yeah, it's not something that the human mind can really do. And when you do do that. You're not usually remembering it correctly. Exactly. Nine, nine times out of ten, you're kind of filling in the blanks with what, you know, maybe what you've heard other people say they thought they heard or saw, yeah. and maybe what you think your, your brains, your, our brains fill in so much information for us based on what we expect to be there, not what's actually there. Yeah. And I find that line between like perception and, and fact. Very interesting in the fact that Argento just thinks they're the same. Yeah. <laughs> like that there is some 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 kind of infallible recall that that we can get ourselves to with the right external stimuli. Yeah. And it's just it's really it's a it's a very interesting way that, to look at the world. Well, it's almost kind of like the way you remember dreams, right? Yeah. Because you wake up from a dream and you're trying to remember a detail of a dream and you're like, well, I think I was going down the stairs, mm-hmm. but I don't remember how it got to the bottom. Oh, wait a minute. The stairs turned into a slot. You know, like yeah. you can, you kind of have that moment where you can go through your stored images. Mm-hmm. And even though dreams obviously are fake and not real, <laughs> I mean, the, the concept is real, but yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but haven't you ever had the opposite experience where you wake up and you, you start trying to, you know, you say to your partner or your friend or whoever is like, oh, man, I had the craziest dream last night. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I was walking through the airport and I, I was looking for my gate and I think I was supposed to meet my old college roommate there. And then even as you're saying it, you realize what you're saying is wrong. Yeah. And then you start yeah. thinking like, wait, is what I'm saying wrong or do I? is that actually what the dream was? And now I'm just feeling like it's not what it was or was that not what it was? And then the harder you think about it, it just kind of like diffuses and disappears on you yeah. and you lose a handle on any of it. And yeah. then the whole thing is gone and you're like, shit, never mind. Guess that's, it wasn't that interesting. That's how most of my Spanish tests went in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to our coverage of La Llorona <laughs> for an example of this. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I think it's really interesting how, how memory works mm. in Argento's world, you know, in, in this sort of vaguely dream logic world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it puts so much, um, faith into yeah. the senses. Yeah. And it puts so much kind of responsibility on a single person Yeah, for like, you should be able to recall this. This is stored in your mind somewhere and you just need to pull it out. Yeah. And and that will reveal some huge truth about the world around you. Do you think that is a personal point of view of his as an artist? Mm. Or do you think it's sort of an adaptation of um, the murder mystery as it exists in the novel where it's kind of yeah. easier to do that kind of stuff where it's like 
at that point, they remembered that the that the knife had right. green blood on it, and not, and that's how they knew <laughs> right. it was a Vulcan or something. You know, <laughs> that you know what is I mean? how I'm, they knew it was a Vulcan. But you know, what, like how, how in, in the yeah. way the way that stuff is played out in books, oh, it yeah. has that element of going back and kind of like replaying yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, the Sherlock Holmes kind of style. Like, well, I noticed some ash on his shoes, and then I remembered. Yes. That you yeah. know the fireplace had been disturbed at Mister Brown's house or, mm. or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if it's not, not a facet of both mm. because I, I do think it is a common element of these sort of murder mystery plots, but he pivots so much importance on them yeah. that I do think he, that it is part of his view of, you know, he's using it as a way, I think, to say something about like the perceptive abilities of the human mind that like with the right amount of attention and the right amount, like the right type of environment, you can take in things from around you that you weren't even aware you were absorbing. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think ultimately... Um, that arm getting chopped off scene was great. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think ultimately what it comes down to is murder mysteries, no matter how you shake it, are mm-hmm. preposterous. <laughs> yes. Which is why they're fun. Yes. So... We shouldn't get hung up on the how. I'm not saying you're getting hung up because this is very interesting. Yeah. Just in general, yeah. people who get hung up on the hows and the why. I feel like I've come a long way from the bird with the crystal plumage. Really? Because in that one, I was <laughs> I was a little bit mad that I kind of he kind of presented this story that you really couldn't, as the viewer, you could not solve. Yeah. Like there was not enough yeah. information for you to solve that until you find the extra memory of oh wait no that was a woman really right and. As I've been watching more of these movies, these Giallo movies, I think I'm kind of obsessed with them now. I, I really enjoy them. <laughs> I think them. you are. <laughs> well, they, they, they're so unique in yeah. their style. Yeah, they create such a mood. Yeah, it's like mood above all else. Yes. I just watched um, Lucio Fulci's Seven Notes in Black, mm. which is, uh, it's uh, in America, it was known as The Psychic. And it's one of the, the giallos that has a, a, a supernatural bent to it because the main character, this woman, has psychic powers and she mm. can kind of see this future murder that's going to happen. Mm. And like, you know, that's what I just said is yeah. essentially the extent of the story. Like yeah. her, her husband gets... <laughs> and the next 90 minutes is just vibes. Kind of. Yeah. You know, she, she's trying to uh, um, she's trying to exonerate her husband who's been blamed for the murder of this woman yeah. that they find walled up in the wall of their house. Mm. And so the rest of the movie is her kind of like tracking down elements that she's seeing in these psychic visions to Mm. try and exonerate her husband. Mm -hmm. But it's like very moody. It's another one that has a fantastic score to it. Mm. And like it just creates these feelings and and images and uh, impressions more than it does like, oh, that was a tight. Agatha Christie novel right know? right this is not uh, a knives out mystery or whatever yeah. they're calling them now <laughs> I think see even with those though I think, oh I like those no no I like those yeah. too but I feel like there is there is plenty of bullshit being thrown around in those things because sure. the name of the game in mysteries is misdirection yes right yeah and red so, herrings abound yeah which is you know why I don't know if you saw the the stuff about glass onion where certain people were getting are you familiar with Ben Shapiro uh, yes he, he <laughs> As you can tell by the fact that I went, Ugh. He was going off about Glass Onion. He was so mad because he felt, because the writer uh, for the first half of the movie actively deceived the audience. 
And it's like, bro, it's a what do you? It's a murder mystery. That's what they do. Yes, like, that's the point. Is that like everyone to some extent is actively deceiving? Yeah, even Sherlock Holmes. Like when, yes. when Sherlock Holmes explains what's going on, it's oh, all yeah. bullshit. Like yeah, like you like you were supposed to look down like. Oh, he's got ash on his foot, and right. you, as the reader, are supposed to figure yes, out that means... ink stain on his left yeah. cuff. That means that he just came in from the moors or whatever? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and so the, these Giallo movies, they, they just really take all these elements of the music and the mm-hmm. moody uh, filmmaking and kind of give you this this murder mystery that is just so much more of like an impression and a feeling yeah and that's the most important thing more so than the last five minutes where in rapid succession they tell you why the guy did what he did right who's <laughs> doing it why they're doing it and how it's gonna yeah. end I yeah i will say the psychic uh, seven notes in black actually mm. pretty good as yeah. far as the story goes fairly tight cool. especially uh, uh considering that there's a psychic element involved yeah. but um I think this is the only giallo we're doing, I think. For for our video nasties. For our video nasties. I believe this is the only one. Uh, Bay of Blood is arguably a giallo. I haven't hmm. watched that in a long time. That's a Mario Bava movie that is was very influential on the uh, Friday the 13th and the other American slashers, which I've been looking forward to doing that. But next time, since uh, it is currently available (laughs) on Shudder and is kind of difficult to get when it's not available anywhere, we will be doing Possession, which, uh, man, I can't wait for you to watch Possession. (laughs) I can't tell if you're saying that because you're genuinely excited for me or if this is like gleeful i can't wait to see your reaction it's both because i i I really want to talk about it with you but i also cannot wait for you to watch this movie oh boy because it's (laughs) it is a wild ride okay that if you if you thought the turn and this was weird (laughs) buckle up for for possession i i am ready uh but uh, apparently the the uh the look of tenebrae was very much inspired by possession so there's that too i'm glad i'm glad we're doing these close together then yeah uh but thank you guys oh before we go i just wanted to say that tenebrae was uh it was released with five seconds cut in 1999 (laughs) five seconds jesus released uncut in 2003 this movie was one of the prosecuted films on the 72 video nasties list Film was released in Italy and throughout most of Europe without experiencing any reported censorship problems, hmm. but was classified, prosecuted, and banned as a video nasty in the United Kingdom. Its theatrical distribution in the United States was delayed until 1984, when it was released in a heavily censored version under the title Unsane. Ooh. In its cut form, Tenebrae Bad received title. a... Yeah, it is. It's not great. <laughs> In its cut form, Tenebrae received a mostly negative critical reception, but the original fully restored version later became widely available for reappraisal. So, oh, huh. one thing I did, I think we should do for these. Sure. On a scale from uh, one to ten, hmm. one being video and ten being nasty, <laughs> where would you put this? Because we were <sighs> watching this kind of going like, I'm surprised that this was a banned film. Yeah. Because there's... All things considered, it's not really even for 1982. It's not really yeah, that bad. I mean, there's like there's some boobs in it. Um, there's a. I did I did like the one, um, 
uh, one lesbian woman who just walked around with one boob out. Yes. Like she had like a her blanket on, but just yes. one boob. Like wrapped in a sheet. Like a toga. Like a toga. Because, you know, just... they're in Rome. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You just got to, you know, one boob out. Yeah. That's how you keep cool. That's why they got censored. Because yeah. if, you if you're going to have one, you got to have both of them. Right. <laughs> right. It needs to be symmetrical. Yes. Yeah. Um, on a scale from video to nasty, I don't know. I'd ca- like, like, is this a one to ten or a one to five? Where, where? I'd are say we? one to ten. One to ten. Ten. One being fairly tame. Mm. Ten being I can understand why this would be banned. <laughs> I guess like conceptually, a, like a four or a five. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, a woman does get her arm chopped off. There's a lot of blood. Yeah. There, there are a few sets and or singles of boobs. Um, but yeah, nothing. Nothing that these days strikes me as gratuitous, mm. like in the sense of, you know, you're not seeing anybody getting like actively disemboweled. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, like, like there's not a lot of like gory special effects. It's just a lot of fake blood. Yeah. It's weird. Cause like one mannequin arm, one mannequin arm mm-hmm. you've got like noticeably absent from the video nasty list is either Friday the 13th or Friday the 13th part two. Yeah. And I feel like Kevin Bacon getting a arrow through the neck yes. is more Yeah, because they really close up on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's more disturbing than any of the violence in this movie. Yes. Because the violence here is so theatrical. Yep. That uh it, it's I I cl- I feel like he's again clearly flipping the bird, mm-hmm. being like, I'm gonna give you all the blood. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. much blood that you can't even know what to do with it. Yeah. But also there's moments where it cuts away from the violence so that somebody's hand can gracefully knock over a vase. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yes, I, I'd, I'd say like four or five maybe. I do wonder if part of it with this is the the sexual subtext of it. Oh, sure. Because that's a lot harder to cut. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're editing Friday the 13th, you can cut a couple frames out of the next shot. You can cut a couple frames sure. here and there. You can't cut any of the subtextual stuff yeah. going on with that flashback two, two girlfriends having a fight yeah you can't cut <laughs> the 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 concept of lesbian relationship right out. right the whole concept yeah 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 what about you what, you what is what is your score i would say i would say it's like a five yeah because i i, I enough think blood to get it up to a five i think it's enough blood to get up to a five but it's also the other stuff that i feel like okay yeah. i can see why conservative government in the 80s would be might be threatened Ooh. by this stuff they don't want their children learning to about, know about lesbians i guess yeah <laughs> anyway uh thank you guys for listening thank you for supporting the show uh we will be back next month with possession thank you amanda thank you Clay. and we'll see you next time bye everyone bye